Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, today I am excited to have Sarah the Pivoter Calmetta with me. And uh, we're going to get in and talk about some interesting things because um, she has made a pivot from the corporate world to running her own business. And, you know, just like with any episode that we have here, make sure to listen to the entire episode because the fact that you're listening means there's something that Sarah is going to say in today's episode that is exactly what you need to hear today. So with that, we're going to roll that episode. You are jamming with Jason Mefford, where you hear inspiring interviews with some amazing people. Some are famous, some may seem ordinary, and they are all doing extraordinary things to positively change the world. Sometimes it's just you and me having an intimate and authentic conversation about how you can change the world around you and rewrite the story of your life by being more authentic, accepting and loving yourself more, and spreading love to others. Since really, all you need is love. And what the world needs now is love, sweet love. We discuss all aspects of self-improvement, growth, and so much more. Great content, insightful advice that's practical and helpful to anyone that listens. You're always eager to come back for more and share with your friends and family since you learn something in every episode. So sit back and enjoy the easy listening while you feel seen and heard in this informative, authentic, and entertaining podcast. Now, let's roll that beautiful podcast footage. All right, Sarah, I am excited to see you. You've got a big smile on your face and I got a big smile on my face too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for having me here. I'm very excited to do this podcast with you today. Well, no, it was, it's one of those where, you know, again, it's a, a mutual friend of both of us said, you guys need to hook up. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we talked for a few minutes and just realized how aligned we are in so many different ways that we just had to do one of these episodes. So I'm, I'm grateful for you for taking the time away from your busy schedule to, uh, to come and share your story and your wisdom with people that are going to listen. Thank you so much. So I know, um, you know, you were uh, like me in, in the way too, you know, where, where kind of from your origin story, you kind of grew up in corporate, in the corporate world, and now have kind of pivoted to having your own business. But the interesting thing is you're helping people that are in the corporate world. I think mm-hmm. as well. Right. And so, so I wanted to kind of, so maybe just share a little bit of your background with people so people can kind of understand where you're coming from, because, you know, so much of the time we can see ourselves in somebody else's story as well. So just kind of give, give people a background on that. Sure. So, um, yes, as you said, I worked in, um, 
the corporate side of things for a very long time. I've been in the aviation industry for 17 years, believe it or not. Um, I'll tell you what my skin cream is later. <laughs> I know, it's kissing. <laughs> yeah, can I have some um, of that? <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, I fell into the business aviation side of things, the private jet space. And I was in that particular industry for now it's been 15 years. Um, and it was one of those things where when I was in school, I thought I was for sure going to work for some big aerospace defense company. I went to an aeronautical school. You know, I thought like Raytheon or Boeing, something like this would be in my future. And just stumbled upon this industry kind of by chance. You know, they didn't even really talk about it much at the school. And it's a very niche industry. It accounts for less than 1% of aviation but it's very dynamic. It's unscheduled operations. So unlike an airline where you know what the route is, you know, you map out your trip months in advance. We could be sitting here having a conversation. My phone could ring and I could be dispatching a plane two hours from now. So it's very fast, it's very quick, changes a lot. And as soon as you add in international flying, the complexity comes in. As soon as you add in different cultures, there's more complexity. Communication starts to break down, assumptions are made, etc. So as I worked in this industry, I also then spent 13 of those years in Asia. I was in mainland China, Singapore, and Hong Kong, Hong Kong for 10 years. And this really added to those layers, uh, managing multicultural crew, the communication. And the last company I worked for was a U.S.-based, and they were the largest company. Most of the companies I had worked for, you know, the first one, when, when I started, we had like three employees. And when I left, we had about 10. And it was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. That was actually one of the reasons why I was seeking something different because the growth was so exponential. I just, I got burnt out, right? And that, that can happen in any industry. And the system is not designed to support longevity. It's designed for fast, hard, you know, 90, uh, excuse me, 18 month to two year cycles, and then take a break start all over again, right? And, and kind of bringing people through this pattern. And that's really difficult. It's tough on resources. It's tough on the middle managers who have to train and, and watch over these people. And this is kind of the MO and, and standard way of operating in, in business aviation, especially so, in the US. So if I heard you right, I mean, they were literally like re recycling employees every 18 to 24 months. That's not, not just the, not the first company I worked for, but that's typically the cycle. When you look okay. at so the firms I worked for and around me, it was almost like a merry-go-round, you know, like, oh, well, where are you working now? I'd go to networking events and three years okay. in when people would ask me this question, you know, it would be like, oh, Sarah's actually been there longer than two years. Maybe she's not going to leave, but it was almost expected that within okay. two to three years, you'd, you'd change companies because of these type of reasons. Okay. You know, new companies would pop up and they would start out, say, you know, with, with great intentions, but just due to the very fast paced changing nature. And of course, we're de dealing with ultra high net worth individuals, right? They're essentially toddlers with money. They're very emotional. Uh, they want what they want now. They don't like to hear no. And so we, you know, have to adapt to this type of communication. And it takes a lot of self awareness and identification of what is really happening when you're communicating to someone at that level right and and imagine 
you're 18 years old, you're 20 years old, and you're talking to someone who's worth billions of dollars, and you're the front-facing person. I mean, you've barely graduated college and know how to write an email, right, <laughs> that, that conveys a message correctly. And now all of a sudden, this person's on the phone, and it's intimidating. And so you, it's really sink or swim. A lot of people, it's trial by fire. It's watch what I do. And it's a very intense industry, so it churns out a lot of people. And then it also, of course, can become very ego-driven. So the people working in the industry develop egos as well. And that, that happens everywhere, but is particularly prevalent here when you're dealing with this level of person or celebrities, sports teams, et cetera. So then throughout this entire experience, I started to realize, you know, this is not sustainable, not just for me. If I want to grow, if I want to get my rest, if I want to not be living in a state of stress all the time, but for my team. So I became a manager, building my own awareness and empathy that people were different. Not everyone ran at the same speed that I did. And some people, their ambition stopped at a certain point and they were content to stay at a certain level, which wouldn't have satisfied me. And in the beginning, that really frustrated me. I didn't know what to do with it. And it would almost anger me. Uh, and then I eventually learned, you know, that's their journey. That's okay. This, this is actually where they shine and they want to stay there. Wonderful. So how do we put the right people might be on the right bus or airplane in this instance, but maybe in the wrong seat, right? So how do we just reorganize, put you in the right seat so that we can be really efficient with what we're doing rather than trying to force something that is, you know, idealistic on paper, but not reality. So the last company I worked for, um, you know, that the first company was, you know, so small Then the next one, couple hundred people, you know, and it grew from maybe 50 to about 200 over the course of five years. Then the last one, we had around 1,200 employees globally in over 50 locations in over 20 countries. So that was my first real taste of like that corporate America or that corporate experience where you had the head office, you had the regional offices with their different flavors, you know, still one company manual, still one ethos. And I had joined at a time that they had just finished this cultural exercise where they had really gone through, they used EOS, which is called Enterprise Operating System, really based off the book called Traction. And it was a five-step, five-year culture process to really change the culture because this company had grown from, you know, it was privately owned, grown from a family business to this organization. And that's where it started to change for me. Uh, I got sucked into the travel lifestyle. I was traveling 90% of the time, hardly home, always in an airplane. My body started to break down. My relationship started to suffer. And I realized after about 18 months, it was no longer fun and a big adventure. And, you know, oh, look at me, look at all these cool things I get to do. And it became tiring and it became, um, this drain that I couldn't really articulate. I didn't have the language yet. I didn't even know what was wrong. I just knew that something was wrong. And yet on the outside, social media presence, uh, my title, the amount of money I made, all those things, it looked like I was living this idealistic life. I had it all. You know, I had the husband and the house and the travel lifestyle and, you know, was competing in sport and Everything looked amazing and fabulous, but I was miserable and lonely and, you know, about to implode or explode at any given moment. And then I felt guilty for feeling that way. I didn't know why I felt that way. I didn't have the tools to understand my own emotional experience. And, uh, you know, through that 
male dominated industry and that experience with all the travel, I really shut down a lot of feeling and was really in this kind of very operational mode. And any technical industry, whether that's aviation or other transportation sectors or finance or law, medicine, this tends to happen. And we get so focused on the industry and that profession and that career growth that we think everything else is not important, right? Like, oh, it's not that important if I don't make date night. You know, it's not a big deal. We can do it next week. But then that turns into six months, into a year, into five years. And we don't nurture ourselves. We only feed the intellectual side of ourselves, And then, of course, we feed the, the physical side because we want to look good. We want to feel powerful. And we have nothing soul-based. So the foundation is lacking. And then when one of those two things gets taken away, for example, you break a leg, you can't run anymore, you can't do sport, or your job gets taken away due to a global recession or COVID, you fall. And it's a really painful fall because your identity is so wrapped up in those things. And that's what happened to me. Um, you know, I, I had built my career up. I was a, you know, a director already by age 29, maybe 28 of, of a region, Asia Pacific, not just a, you know, one location. And so I had hit all these goals I set for myself at a very young age. And then was kind of like, now what, you know? Do I have to keep going? I have to keep working harder and harder? Like, when does it end? And that's when I started to have those conversations in my head and then eventually with other people to really work out, well, what was it that I really wanted? Why was I not happy with all this success that I had, that society told me I wanted, that I worked so hard for? Um, and then every month, I would look at my financials. I'd say, oh, I still have some runway, but not enough. Let me, let me work one more month before I quit, right? And then what would happen that month because I was so stressed and unhappy, I'd overspend on massage, on going out to eat, on booking another holiday, on buying more books, um, you know, anything to keep me busy and to distract me from the reality that I didn't really want to face. So repeated over and over, that golden carrot became, you know, just hung there and I, I couldn't stop. I felt really a addicted to that lifestyle. Um, it was this thought of well, what will people think of me if I just give up? I work so hard. And then uh, the universe answered my prayer and COVID happened and my role ended for me. So I didn't have to make the decision. And it was something that I expected because I was in charge of the P&Ls. I knew the business was going down. I'd lost my job during the global um, recession in 2008. So I knew that there were these things these markers. And it was still a shock when it happened. It was still difficult because my identity was so wrapped up in this role that I was playing. Um, and then I started to realize around me, people didn't want to see reality, just like I hadn't. But as I started to clean off that windshield and make it more clear to see where it was going, people around me were still wanting to keep those other filters on. And they would say, oh, well, you're in aviation, you know, you'll, you'll bounce back. Everyone loves you. You'll find a job, no problem. But, you know, it's to be expected as aviation. Whereas a month before that, they were telling me how, how could anyone ever get rid of me? You know, I was this star in the industry. And it was like, well, you're only a star while the industry is going well. When the industry is, you know, in a downturn, doesn't matter if, if you're not bringing in revenue or if the company's not bringing in any revenue. In order to survive, they have to make decisions, right? And they have to usually get rid of people. 
Then all of a sudden, my friend in construction lost their job. My friend in finance lost their job. My friend in marketing lost their job. My friend over here lost their job. And it was this big domino effect. And they just could not handle it. They couldn't understand. They didn't want to understand. It was so painful and full of so much suffering. And it made me realize that we don't have the foundational tools at our disposal to be able to handle the big pivots, the big changes in life. And yet we only start to look at using these tools when we go through massive change. Um, you know, we have these kind of age rituals when we go through, you know, sweet 16 in, in Mexican culture, the quinceañera, right? When they turn 15, um, coming of age rituals, getting married, graduating from college, getting divorced, having children, moving countries, changing jobs. That's when we start to look at our whole life and we start making changes across the board. But in between those big things, those big pivots, we don't reflect and refine. We don't ask ourselves, hey, do I still want this? Is this still good for me? And we set these goals when we're 18 and then maybe we're 40 and we've never looked at those goals again. We've just kept working towards the same thing. And the goalpost keeps moving as changes come and the environment changes. So we then get stuck and we feel like we're spinning our wheels or that we're not good enough and we're frustrated. Why, why isn't it working for me? And so then I started to really, I dove more into the personal development space, mindset work, you know, the neuroscience behind our habits and our routines, why we do the things that we do and how to build a, a system. I call it your SAS, your semi-automatic support system. How do you build your SAS so that you give yourself what you need before you demand it from anybody else? How do you build the awareness to know what those things are so that you can provide them to yourself and set up your environment for success and really operate from the standpoint of already having the result that you're seeking, being in that energy, you know, just like an Olympic athlete would visualize their winning, we need to be doing the same thing. So I started to do this. I started to apply it to my own life, started to apply it to, um, you know, everyone else. I really resisted going back to corporate. You know, I, I called myself a corporate escapee. I didn't want anything to do with it at all. It was, you know, almost like PTSD, right? The, the meetings and PowerPoints, it was just, I didn't want to be involved in it anymore. And then over the last, uh, especially 18 months, I started to realize, yes, I can change individuals' lives, but I want to change the industry. I want to change the aviation industry so that they have systems to support the people they're bringing in so that there's transparency about what is the lifestyle like when you work in this industry and not make it smoke and mirrors or puppies and rainbows so that we have this churn and this turnover. How do we make it so that the companies can still profit and thrive and grow and expand and yet they have sustainable success? Their employees want to be there and they have systems built in so there's triggers when you know, the employee knows when to recognize that they're falling into a decline and they're slipping towards that, um, you know, resilience deficit. They're in crisis mode so that they can raise their hand, so that they can go and utilize a tool. They can communicate more clearly. Um, and now my focus is back in that industry, you know, and I'm really happy to say there's some major airlines working on mindset programs for their flight crew. This is, you know, never before seen. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, and just to see that people are willing to have these conversations because they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And the organizations are recognizing, especially with the younger generation coming in, what is it, Gen Z now, I think it is, um, they're not going to stand for it, right? Time is also a currency. Health is a currency. So how do we rewrite the narrative so that success includes all of those things, not just monetary value, but these different uh, anchors? And so this is now why I've turned around and stepped back to deliver this back to the corporate space. Oh, which is beautiful because again, I mean, it's <clears throat> your story. I mean, so many of the people listening can see kind of their career trajectory mm. in there too. I mean, what what you've experienced over your career is the same thing that most people end up experiencing. And so there's there's a lot of things in there that I'd like to kind of jump in and and get oh. get a little deeper on that you that you kind of brought up because I know you know maybe the first thing is that you you brought up like you said, it's true a lot of times, especially in technical kind of industries, right? So aviation, engineering, medical, mm -hmm. some finance jobs, things like that, right? Where there's there's a very kind of technical aspect to it. And we tend to focus so much on developing our technical expertise on, on even, you know, because for me, I came up through the finance ranks and the same kind of thing. I mean, public accounting was one of those kind of churning things where again I mean most of the people that came in would leave after two years or three years most people you know maybe 20 percent made it to the five or six year mark because we were just churning through people burning them out right because you can only do 80 or 90 hour weeks for so long before something else in your life starts to suffer right and and but but what's interesting is is like you said because I felt this in my career as well is this identity attachment to the job in your career so maybe let's kind of talk about that a little bit more because i <clears throat> i had never really thought of it until i experienced it myself but that so many people do as well and it sounds like your friends too you know as as the covid layoffs happened a lot of them had their own personal identity kind of wrapped up into their job or the company that they worked for or what they did and when that falls apart then it's like who the fuck am i yeah <laughs> right i mean it, it's like we 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 kind of feel like we're a little bit lost right so so how does it, you know i don't know i mean like i said i think a lot of people are are in that how do we how do we separate and not not have our identity attached to that or what are some things that we can do to try to start to decouple that before the rug just gets pulled out from underneath us mm, beautiful question i love the word decouple um you know we're taught by society a lot of this stuff is because we grew up in a school system and in an era that was after the industrial revolution and it was designed to create good worker bees you know that would work in a factory and produce and be efficient and raise profits and then we went to the information technology era, where now a lot of business is it's the IP, it's not the product, right? It's the brain power making and having people think. And our school systems have not yet caught up to that, right? We're still teaching in rote memorization terms. We're still teaching things that by the time you graduate, the material's outdated. And so we really need to, in order to rectify this issue. And, and of course, by rectifying it, we'll create other problems that we don't know about yet. But we need to start uh, teaching adaptability of mindset, teaching uh, system 
like system, systemic thinking and design thinking rather than just linear thinking. Now that can be hard Think about thinking about a pilot. There's a checklist, right? Pre-flight checklist, in-flight checklist. There's a systematic step process order for everything. Same for engineering, manufacturing, when you put something together, math, right? Very structured and organized. And yet we are humans. We have emotions. This is why when we tell stories, we connect because we can see ourselves reflected in those stories and we feel seen and we feel heard. So that's, that's one part of it. But in order to, as you start to raise your own awareness around this for yourself, what you can do is really start having these conversations with your partner, with your family members, um, and take it upon yourself to really initiate conversation differently. You know, we're so conditioned to, when we meet someone, go, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm a coach. What do you do? Right? We don't ask, who are you? We ask, what do you do? So I like to, when I get asked questions, to instead of answering by the function of my role, because I play many different roles. I'm not just a coach. You know, I'm also a, a teacher, a lecturer at a university. I'm also, you know, have a, a role in a different business. I also, you know, uh, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm also a person who does plant medicine ceremonies, right? There's, there's so many different aspects to who I am. So depending on who I'm meeting with and where I'm at, you know, what function am I at? I will then take elements of that and give an introduction that doesn't say a job title. That's more about who I am as an individual. You know, I'm, I'm a curious um, adventurer who loves to explore, for example, that might be something that I would say. So depending on what kind of audience I'm with, I'll, I'll tweak that so that it can connect. I can find that common connection point, right? If I'm meeting with um, a kind of conscious community, spiritual community, I might go in one direction versus if I'm at a business event, an aviation specific event, uh, or um, you know, if I'm at a kind of music scene, right? And I'm just meeting people casually and it's just a, a weekend, I'm out for fun. And so this then allows me to one, play with my own vocabulary, my own definitions of who I am as an individual and the qualities that I want to let people know about rather than what I do because what you do will change. You know, even if you do happen to stay in the same industry for 30, 40 years, that role is not the same, right? A pilot who has been with United Airlines for 30 years, his or her role is not the same as it was when they first joined. They probably have some sort of training role or some sort of, you know, check airmen where they're, you know, in the, in the cockpit checking off the pilots who are flying through, simulator oversight, you know, different rostering schedules, uh, they, they take on more management duties as they, you know, progress. We all do. So finding ways that you can describe yourself. And the best way to break it down is think like mind, body, spirit. Mm -hmm. Intellectually, who are you? What philosophy do you subscribe to? You know, what, what are your thought patterns? What are your beliefs? Politics. Um, physical. Do you play sport? Do you go to the gym? Do you like to be outside? You know, are you a yogi? And then the soul level, are you a painter? Do you like to cook? Do you like to travel and get really into culture? Do you like to learn language? Do you like to read books? What are those things about you that make you tick? The things that light you up, that make your eyes sparkle, make you lose track of time. Those are the things I wanna know about. And maybe not everybody wants to know about it, but at the end of the day, even when you're in, a, in an interview, when you start talking in that level, 
you stand out from the rest of the crowd who was just droning on about their certificates or, you know, whatever else that we're taught to do in an interview. Make yourself a person, a human being, and that's going to be what connects you to others, whether that's professionally or personally. Well, I think it's interesting because as you as you say that, you know, one of the tools to reprogram are things like I am statements, right? Mm -hmm. That you can that you can either Absolutely. write out, you can you can do from a self-hypnosis standpoint or a mantra perspective. And I think what's so interesting is like you said, as as a as a culture, as a society, that's what it is, right? It's like, oh hi, I'm Jason, you know, hi Sarah, what do you do for a living? Right. And we tend to so throughout our whole life, we're conditioning ourselves and kind of creating that identity by saying, oh, I'm a CPA. Oh, right. I'm a doctor. Oh, I'm an engineer. Well, what kind of engineer, right? Might be a follow-up. Well, I'm a, I'm a structural or chemical engineer, right? Oh, who do you work for, right? Is a lot of times the, the questions that'll follow up, right? And so as we're just introducing ourselves or thinking about it, we're actually creating that identity to our job, to our employer, Absolutely. by just introducing ourselves to other people and we don't even realize it, right? And, and over time, right? If all of a sudden now I'm not a CPA or I'm not an engineer anymore, or I work for a different company, all of a sudden it feels like a piece of us is like missing, right? Yeah. That first period um, when I wasn't working for the aviation company anymore, it was really difficult for me to wrap my mouth around the words, I'm a coach. Even though I had been already coaching for a decade and, and professionally training people, that was never my title. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't feel comfortable portraying myself that way. And I remember in the beginning, I would start off by, oh, well, I've been in aviation for X number of years, but I've just set up my own business like this justification of like why I wasn't in where I was before. And then that changed as I gained confidence and built up my own identity to I'm a coach and this is what I do. It doesn't matter what I did before. This is what I'm doing now. Right. But again, it's that, that programming, we choose our own programming, by the way, when we're children, we don't, we're exposed to our parents and school and, and things and music. But as we gain more agency and we become adults and we got into the world, who you listen to on the radio, what news channel you watch, the books you read, the programs you join, the memberships you're a part of, the things you consume, they're all programming. But you can be intentional about the programming that you're choosing and then make decisions for yourself. Will you take this on? We all have beliefs and our beliefs have all changed in our lifetime. And so if it's changed before, it can change again. And now that you have the awareness, you can start to ask yourself better questions and say, hey, is, is this for me? Yeah, I've been a part of this group for the last 10 years, but is it serving me? How is it serving me? What does this allow me to do? How is being a part of this group, this community, enabling me to live the life that I want? And if it's not, or if it's only mediocre, in terms of what value it's giving me, what else is out there? How would I rather feel? What would I rather work towards? What else is there for me to explore? And then that's how we can start to expand our horizons and pivot into these different versions of ourselves. And the great news, you don't have to stay there forever, right? It's like trying on different clothes. You, you go through, if you think about what you wore in high school, what you wore 
10 years ago, what you're wearing today, I can guarantee it's different. You probably had some, you know, very different styles in your lifetime. So looking back at that, what, what was that for you? What did that represent? What did that mean? And, you know, we go through these phases, we cut our hair, we dye our hair, we gain weight, we lose weight, we go to the gym, we get super fit. And then we, you know, want to be strong and we want to be lean. And, you know, a swimmer's body is very different to a ballerina's body. And, you know, depending on where our focus is, we get these different results and none of them are better than the other. They're just different. And based on what you need at that point in time, that's what's serving you. So just bringing that awareness to it is also what's going to be helping you as you reflect and refine. You know, if you don't know how it makes you feel, you won't be able to make a, a choice. But our life is just a big science experiment. You know, where we have some control factors, we change a few things, we decide if it works or not, and then, you know, we go from there. Well, it's interesting because like you said, I think the, that word intentional, you know, has been a big word for me you know, the last year or two, especially, because like you said, I think we're programming ourselves all the time. It's just most of the time it's unintentional. We're, yeah. we're, we, we don't know that we're doing it. And so the fact that, you know, like you said, we can all change because we've changed before. Mm -hmm. And the more intentional that we can actually be about doing some of these things and deciding, well, is that, does that really serve me anymore? Do I need to do something different? The, the, the better questions, like you said, that we ask about that you know, now we can actually start doing some of this other, other reprogramming if we want to. And so it kind of goes back to, to, you know, like what you said about, you know, how you introduce yourself, right? Well, you can be a little bit more intentional about how you're introducing yourself. Cause I'm one of those guys that it's like, I do lots of stuff too. Right. And I hate being put in a box. Yeah. So Same. most of the time when people ask me what I do for a living, it's like, I don't know what to tell them. It's like, I've got multiple revenue streams. I do all these different, different things. Right. And I don't want to be just like put in a box. And so most people have no idea what I actually do for a living. Cause I can't explain it. Cause I don't want to be put in a box. Right. Oh. Um, but, but what, what kind of hit me as you were talking is, well, we can, we can do that for other people as well. Right. And so when, you, when we're introducing ourselves to people or we're asking people about themselves, we can also use different questions so we don't continue to perpetuate that, right? It's Correct. like, I, I wouldn't want to come up to you and say, so Sarah, what do you do for a living and who do you work for, right? right. I'd want to ask more relevant questions to get to know Sarah the person, right? Right. And by doing that, you know, it's not only helping me, but it's helping you and it's helping us have more of that connection that I feel like, you know, a lot of times we don't have because life has become so sterile, mm. so politically correct. So, oh my gosh, you can't say that. Right. And it's like, yeah. it's like yesterday I, I was doing a, a webinar for, for this company and I, you know, just came out too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Right. That's just a term that I grew up with that right explain yeah, something and then after them. and then afterwards i went shit did i offend somebody it wasn't my intention to do that right but am i allowed to say that those terms right. anymore because it's not disrespectful i'm not you know right. doing your, it your in a disrespectful behind the use is different it's different yeah um but yeah so it, it it just it just yeah made me made me think but or I wanted to go too because um what you said too because i know i know part of your journey from when we talked before that that I'm trying to do more of as well is, you know, most of our adult life, we get taught to 
adult and to be a certain person and to act a certain way. And at some point we, we have to be more authentic and, and face the fact and become who we actually are. And what I thought was, was interesting is, you know, like you said, with the, with the clothes, right. We wear different kinds of clothes, you know, as, as we grow up and as we do different things in different phases of our life. And I've, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, wearing a hat and a t-shirt and what's, mm-hmm. you know, again, funny when I started the corporate world, it was all suit and tie and then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of lost the tie for a little bit. And then, you know, went back to when I was, you know, first public speaking, I, I put the tie back on, but I had to be a little different. So I wore a bow tie and a pocket square instead of a regular long tie. And I've always liked hats, but it's like, but now I've, come back to more of the t-shirts I don't really give a shit what people think about me or how I look I haven't shaved for a couple of days you know sort of thing what's (laughs) what's what's interesting is you know as as I've gone on my journey of self-discovery it's more well who was I when I was a little kid or when I was a teenager even right Mm -hmm. and it's like when I was a teenager I used to wear crazy t-shirts right but I would always do something that was a little bit different than other people, right? Like, like in the eighties, it was cool to have the smiley face t-shirt, right? It was just one of those things. Well, I wanted a smiley taste face t-shirt, but I didn't want to have the smiley face like everybody else. Right. And some people had one that had a bullet hole in them, you know, with blood, but that wasn't me. So I had a hippie smiley face, right. With like (laughs) dreadlocks and a bandana. Um, But but I'm I'm curious if, because as I've gone on my path, it seems like if I can just remember who I was more as a little kid or as a teenager and just accept that and accept who I am, I'm just curious where your journey has come from that on trying to, you know, l- let the real Sarah out that was probably locked up for a while because you felt like I had to be a certain way to fit in at work and to show that I've Mm. got the perfect life and living the rules that I'm supposed to be living in society. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we all put ourselves, we all feel that we're put in a box by society, but then oftentimes, as you said before, we put ourselves in a box Mm -hmm. and then it's like Stockholm syndrome. The door is wide open to that cage, but we're in there and it's comfortable and we know it. And we don't even acknowledge or see that the door is open. We still feel like we're imprisoned there, right? And we're compelled to stay because it's the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't, right? So you stay where you are because you can, from a biological perspective, it's more safe because you can more accurately predict what's going to happen. Even if you're being beaten and, and all these horrible things, it's still more predictable than going out there and venturing out into the unknown. So, you know, I fell into that. I, um, you know, going into the corporate space, of course, you know, the, the clothes and, you know, I went through this phase where like, I literally would only ever wear pencil skirts and a blouse and, you know, I would have the blazer and I'd have high heels. And then, um, you know, always done up makeup and hair and jewelry and the luxury watch and all these things. And I, I remember being at a conference and wearing one of the guys around me kind of looked down and was like, man, I don't know how you wear high heels the whole time. Like, my feet would be killing me. And I was like, well, they're my power shoes. You know, like I feel like I can do anything when I wear these bad boys. But in, you know, if I just go to the office, I'm just in my flats. And one of them just looked at me and looked down at my feet and he's like, Sarah, you could be barefoot and still command this entire room. 
And that just kind of stuck with me. And he's like, you just have to believe that. And, you know, and I was like, okay, well, clearly other people see that. So maybe I don't need the shoes, but clothes are very powerful. You know, as think about a kid who at Halloween, right? They put on that Superman suit or that Superwoman suit. And all of a sudden this shy, quiet little child is like running around, making noise and like saving people and telling fantastical stories. And their whole personality changes because they put on this different piece of clothing. And the same thing happens for us. So whatever it is, that's kind of your power clothing, play with it, you know, see how you feel with the tie, without the tie, how you feel with the heels, without the heels, with the makeup, without the makeup, shaven, not shaven. And then ask yourself like, well, where did you get this story of this being powerful for you? And start looking into and ask yourself these questions. Like, why do you have this story that being clean shaven versus having a, a beard or having long hair versus short hair, whatever it is, is what needs to happen, right? And it's probably because you looked around and you assimilated, right? To be accepted by the herd, be accepted by the tribe. We do things that will reduce rejection and abandonment so that we survive, so that we are accepted. You know, it's, it's part of our nature. It's just part of, you know, how we developed and evolved. Um, but when I was a kid, I mean, I used to love space and the stars. I would always have my nose lost in a book, you know, that never changed, but I stopped allowing myself to read fiction books. I only read personal development or business books, something that was going to add value to my life. And then only probably two and a half years ago, I was having a, a conversation with someone and I realized, you know, the reason that I had such high levels of empathy at such a young age and had situational awareness was because I was reading these epic fantasy novels and these science fiction novels. And I was being exposed to relationships and politics and conversation and seeing how the world worked through different lenses, which allowed me to pay attention and notice what other people completely oblivious had no idea was going on. I tuned in and was able to recognize it. Now, consciously, I wouldn't have been able at that age or at that time to say, oh, it's because, you know, this, but then now looking back, that's exactly why it was, you know, because I would, I had that exposure. Just like if you travel at a young age versus not traveling, you, you understand people from a different perspective because you're exposed to the different culture and way of life. And it asks, allows you to ask questions and understand that things are not just the way that you see it from your lens. You know, so I loved um, like dinosaurs and archaeology. I wanted to be an archaeologist, but was told I'd never make any money in that. So didn't do that. You know, I wanted to be an astronaut for a long time. And you know what? I'm still, if whoever's listening to this podcast, if you've got a program to go into space, like I'll literally drop everything and I'll go and I'll, <laughs> I'll be a part of it. So, so message me after if you're involved. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I started to put these constraints around myself and the, the astronaut thing, the reason why I didn't really pursue that was mostly because of my eyesight. Um, and, you know, knowing that it was a very kind of strict program, especially when I was younger, not so many females. Um, and I was all about having like the highest chance of success. So I kind of rerouted myself into other areas where it was a, probably the path of least resistance. Um, so, you know, the first thing I did when I started going through all this kind of awakening and awareness building, if you will, was ask my mom, what did I do as a kid? Like, what did I, and she, she wrote back in a text, read, 
And I was like, I know that I read, I still read now. What else? And she wrote back, read LOL. And I was like, okay, thanks mom. This is super helpful. Um, but then, you know, we started to dig into it and I remembered, you know, I love to catch lightning bugs in the backyard and I like to be in the garden and, you know, I'd create these worlds uh, and, and these, you know, like kind of walk people through them. I, I was very good at articulating that experience, um, you know, cooking. So I started to bring that more into my life and see what that gave me from an emotional feeling perspective. And it really started to deepen the nuance of my experiences with other people for myself. Uh, it gave me different avenues. You know, meditation is not the end all be all. Running is not the end all be all for stress release and endorphins. There's many other activities that we can do. Uh, dancing, I used to be a figure skater. You know, my very first kind of career goal, yeah, was uh, Olympics gold medal and then retire at 25 and become a figure skating coach. You know, like that's what I thought when I was five years old, I thought that was gonna be my life. Uh, and I did become a coach, just not a figure skating coach. <laughs> um, and, you know, I still love skating. And so when I get an opportunity, I'll go ice skating. And, you know, just bringing back those things that make you lose track of time, um, bringing back that essence and not, appearing foolish I mean when we're children and we're learning to walk do we care that we're falling over and people see us no we are so determined that we're going to walk and we're going to do it we just we keep going and yet now we are so afraid of being fool appearing foolish we don't do the thing and if we don't do the thing we can never get better right and it doesn't matter uh, what I really learned, especially this last weekend um, with the plant medicine ceremony, we did a daytime ceremony on night on day three, which is usually unheard of. It takes a lot of vulnerability, right? To be in that space and it's daytime. You can see what people are doing. And we all sang, everybody sang. There are 26 of us. First night, maybe half, a third of the people sang. The second night, probably 20 people sang. And on the third day, everybody sang. And it just showed me everyone has a voice. And everyone is a good singer, like fucking good. And their voice might have been shaking, but they all, everyone chose a song that was true to who they were, that we learned a bit more about them because of the song they chose and the words that they sang or maybe spoke sang. But all of us had beautiful voices. And when we really allowed ourselves to just be there and let it go, wow, it was just amazing. And I mean, people who were there, some, they had only just started playing guitar like six weeks ago. Now, granted, they're practicing a few hours per day, but from when I first heard them sing till now, it's like, whoa, you know, so we all have the capability and we all want to be seen and heard. So allowing yourself to be seen, you know, it's lonely and miserable to hide that away and not acknowledge that part of yourself. But as you do, you will find your people. You will find people that like pop rocks and watching Star Trek. You will find people that like to, you know, go find pretty rocks in the dirt. And you'll find people that want to practice language or, you know, play Dungeons and Dragons, whatever it is. You will find people that like those things too. And then it, your experience gets to be that much more enjoyable. Well, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, it's interesting because like you said, I mean, both of us came from very technical careers where, like you said, you know, you, you stop reading fiction. Because mm -hmm. I, I got to be reading something to improve myself, right? Yeah. And, and to add value to my to my life or my career, right? 
and there just seems to be some point where where most people kind of give away or stop doing some of those things that that bring them joy or or make them happy and i and i think you know again there's probably a couple of reasons for it one is you know we're 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 beaten in that we need to be productive and we need yeah. to always be doing something that's that is adding value and so i think sometimes we think well you know you know geocaching playing dungeons and dragons you know going yeah. for a hike taking a nap those those are a waste of time right okay. when i could be doing something more productive but but i think too you know what you kind of said is is i think sometimes we're maybe afraid that nobody else likes dungeons and dragons right and so we're kind of embarrassed yeah. to say it but it's like i mean i just love hearing and finding out about like all of these different things that people do for pleasure that I had no idea even existed right I mean I'm I I love going to renaissance fairs I mean some people totally get into renaissance fairs and I love it I love that they do right I mean it makes it fun for me so passionate about something they light up their face transforms and they could go from this person you think is super grumpy and like why would I ever hang out with this person to wow they are beautiful and look at how much excitement they have for life and like zest for life and that is infectious that's attractive and so it doesn't matter what it's about having that energy is going to be contagious right we've all been in the room where there's someone who's really enthusiastic and they're just you can see they're so passionate and it makes you smile and it makes you chuckle and it makes you think like, well, where did that go for me? Man, I wish could you bottle that up? Like, I want some of that. No, we, we're a bit envious, you know, but the more that we're around it, the easier it becomes and the more permission we have to do those things. And like literally one of the exercises I do with my clients is get out a piece of paper and write out. I give myself permission to underneath, take a nap, read a book, go for a walk, you know, turn my phone off for an hour, whatever it is. And put it up on your mirror in your bathroom. So as you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you're looking at your permission slip. You will be amazed at how much that can change for you. Because at the end of the day, it's not about me giving you permission. It's not about teacher giving you permission, about mom or dad giving you permission. It's about you allowing yourself to do those things and to feel safe in who you are. You know, in society, consumerism doesn't want us to feel that way because then we won't buy the thing that they're telling us we need to be whole. But the more you do this, the more you intentionally choose your thoughts, your beliefs, your actions, the less that noise affects you. Well, I think it's interesting, too, because as, as you were talking, you know, to be to begin with, and we're, we're talking about the identity, mm. you know, and, and so many people, you know, I think, again, to, to, to be good at what we do for a living, to have our identity attached to it, we feel like that's all and everything we need to do right mm-hmm. and i and i was the same way i mean i you know lost relationships you know uh, other stuff because i i was working and focusing so much on it traveling so much doing things like this right that that we don't realize but so many of us become really rather one dimensional yeah. and that that's all that we kind of do right and so the mm-hmm. problem is you know i, I I heard you, you know, talking about, you know, living in stress and, you know, your relationship suffering, tired, you felt drained, you were felt miserable and lonely. 
and that was when you were really kind of that one one dimensional one directional as well too and this whole idea of mind body spirit and what are you doing in each of these areas that it seems like the more multi-dimensional we are right with our activities with our interests with our other things like that when one gets taken away it's not as big a deal because you have more than one exactly right? so that's why when people that are kind of one track one one thing their job is the whole thing to them when the job gets taken away literally their whole world is taken away right yeah. whereas if you have hobbies if you're doing some of these other things along with it you're nourishing your mind your body and your spirit in different ways then your whole world doesn't get taken away from you exactly and you're you're cultivating relationships with people in different spheres if all you ever do is focus on your career and read those type of books and only go to the business events chances are you're also going to be surrounding yourself with other people who are only one track mind who are also in that misery so misery loves company right keeps you there but when you go to that art class, you know, you might think, well, this doesn't add any value. How does it help my career? Guess what? When you do something like art and you're learning to paint or draw, you are creating different neural pathways in your brain. It allows for different thinking processes to take place. It allows you to develop different conclusions and solutions, which will then transfer over into other areas of your life, including decisions you make at work. It also gives you the dopamine that you need in order to feel good, feel good hormones, helps you with focus and drive reduces cortisol. So there is actually a lot of value, just not in the ROI that you're used to measuring. So understanding that the ROI comes in many different forms, but you never know who you're going to meet at these things. You know, you go to that one painting event and you meet someone that could be your best friend. That could be your partner. That could be, you know, maybe someone that's going to end up dating one of your children, right? Because you, you all of a sudden, oh, you know, and you make an introduction and now all of a sudden that's like their, their future partner. You know, it could be someone that's going to hire you, someone that's going to buy your company, someone that's going to think of you and remember, hey, I remember that really cool guy, Jason, and he was talking about this and you've just, now it's just triggered, like, I'm going to introduce you guys, right? Yep. And then now, all of a sudden, there's some new connection here that's happened that could lead to business or friendship or whatever it is. And so they, it 100% is valuable. Taking a nap is valuable. I came across this really um, acronym, and I put it up on my, my Instagram, and it was, uh, I'm just going to find it real quick. A reminder to never stop the hustle. So there's like, you know, the, the hustle's on the left-hand side. So have a nap, use the couch for napping sleep during the day, nap, take frequent naps, lie down and nap and enjoy a nice nap. <laughs> I thought that is fantastic. That is a great way to reframe the word hustle. <laughs> well, and I think like you said, what's what's interesting too, because you'd, you'd made reference before to the educational system, right? And the rote memorization and everything that we do. And, yeah. and as you were talking to it kind of, you know, I like history and sociology and psychology as well. And kind of, you know, learning from the past and learning from everything that's around me. And, and, and what's interesting is, you know, probably for the last 60 to maybe 80 years, somewhere, you know, at least post second world war, most of the university instruction has turned to be more, much more trade school focused, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. Like yep. 
you know, if, if, if you go to school for aeronautics, you're pretty much taught, yeah, you have to take a couple of general ed classes and you're like, wow, stupid art class, but I passed right. it and I didn't pay attention because the really important stuff is the last two or three years, right? And so we get very, very one track focused and we only think a certain way. We only have certain interactions. And, and before that though, right, the classical university instruction was a liberal arts degree. Right. right. Not specific into what job you were going to do, but liberal arts. You were learning about the Greeks and the Romans and philosophy and art and music and, you know, all of these different things. You were reading poetry. Right. And and why? Because it, it, it gave you a little bit of exposure to everything. It taught you how to think. It introduced you to some of the greatest minds that have ever lived. And, and we can learn from that, right? In fact, the, the people that are the most successful or the businesses that are the most successful are able to learn from other areas and then apply them into their life, right? Yeah. And it's like, it seems to be a skill that we've kind of lost as well, which kind of seems all wrapped up into this as well, kind of from a lifelong learning and just, you know, recharging ourselves right like like we said i mean whatever that thing happens to be for you dungeons and dragons we just keep mm -hmm. bringing that up. i actually used to play <laughs> when i was when i was a teenager I haven't for a long time but um but you know whatever it is kind of recharges us right for the rest of our life and if we don't have those things there you know and and instead of looking at it uh well like this morning at executive forum that I run, we were talking about politics, organizational mm -hmm. politics. And I'm like, if you haven't watched the, the show Succession on HBO, you got to watch that right now. Most people watch that just from the drama perspective and sometimes yeah. distraction, but I'm sitting here watching it and learning and thinking about organizational politics and how that relates to other things, right? And how I'm helping my clients or, you know, and, and so you can, two people can do the same activity as well, but one you just uses it as a distraction. The other one actually uses it to help themselves, help build relationships, which is totally different kind of Absolutely. thing. Too. Absolutely. And there's always, you know, I think, understanding people understanding yourself is very very important that's the first step because if you don't even understand what's going on for you you will incorrectly assume things about other people we will always assume even when we're very conscious about not doing it you know snap judgments if you read the book blink by malcolm gladwell he goes into that yeah. um but not only do we need to build our own self-awareness, we need to build awareness of the environment and the other people around us, understand what other perspectives. One of my favorite um, books that I, like if you ask me one book in the world to recommend, I will recommend this book. It's called Crucial Conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and I've just purchased their other book. Uh, they have Crucial Accountability. But Crucial Conversations is about being able to have those tough conversations where you can create a shared pool of meaning so it's safe because what most of us do is we retreat into silence or we react with violence. And in between, and with that, we create a lot of story. So the book's about a hundred pages. 
it's written in such simple terms that even if English is not your first language, and it's also written in other languages, but even when it's you read the English version, no matter what your you know background is, you can digest it. Very easy to digest, and it goes to professional and personal applications, which is why I love it because it's not just how are you going to improve in the workplace, but you know you'll you'll get benefit working you know with your talking to your family, with your partner, with your children, and. I remember, you know, I, I brought this book out um, to my group of managers. The intention was we did it as the managers group first, then we would bring in the supervisors, then the rest of the staff. And of course, at first they're like, oh my God, Sarah, you know, <laughs> development crap. Like, what is this? We don't want to do it. I don't want to read a book. I was like, guys, it's a hundred pages. We're going to do this over, you know, six months. You could literally read three pages a day and, and make it happen. Like, let's, let's just all agree we're going to commit we're going to do this so once i broke it down they realized hey actually three pages a day or if i you know if i do 10 pages a day i'm done in a month then they're like wow okay three of the five managers finished the book in two days because they liked it that much and they got so much value from it and then you know they're, they're writing and saying that they're they now understand why when they get home, their partner was wanting to talk and they didn't want to, and then it created conflict and then it made things worse. And how could they shift that? And, you know, just these small kind of tweaks. They went from 99.7 where it was super staticky. Now they're on 99.8 and they're hearing the music loud and clear, right? So we don't need to do much, but when we can start to understand that not everybody thinks the way we do and that's okay, but come to that boundary line where we can both communicate and understand each other not force them into our boundaries because a lot of the times when we start doing this work we get really overzealous and we then pendulum swing the other way and we bulldoze other people in in sharing and in wanting them to experience the benefits we're experiencing but then we're violating their boundaries we're violating where they're at and so we have to as we approach this work in our personal lives and as we do this deep work really remember that this is an invitation for others. You are through your actions, modeling different behavior and it's an invitation for other people to join you. But we have to be mindful about not trying to force them to join because then no matter who you are, if someone else is telling you what to do, you're gonna dig your heels in. You know, Think about when you were a kid and mom told you to do something. You probably wanted to do it, but because she told you, nope, not doing it. You know, yeah, I, I was one of those kids. I'm one of those adults too. So, yeah. Same. you know, it could be something that I really want to do, but because you've just told me I should do it. I'm like, nope, I'm, I don't need that. Whatever, you know, and I'll convince myself I don't want it or I'll find some other workaround. Um, you know, and I used to laugh my ex-husband. Oh my God. I remember I, I had that problem where I pendulum swung and was super excited and like sharing all these things. And he just, you know, was like listening, but not hearing you know he was just letting me talk and then like six months later he had listened to a podcast and was telling me all about this thing and you could do this and that and I was like oh yeah really where'd you where'd you hear that and he's like oh on a podcast and like I'm gonna do this thing and I was like hmm that, that's wonderful I'm so glad you came across this podcast and think myself like I told you this six months ago <laughs> why would you not listen to me back then right and I was like we could have but I was I learned also like okay just plant the seed you know let people think it's their idea because they will get there when they're ready they'll the, it'll sprout at different times for different people just plant the seeds water them nurture them and then nature will take its course yeah yeah 
Well, which is exactly kind of what you've shared here today too, because I know, you know, with things like this podcast, especially there's, there's a lot of messages. There's, there's a lot of uh, different layers into what you shared today as well. And so that's why I encourage people to go back and listen to them again, because, you know, in a different, at a different time, at a different point of view, you're going to pick up different things and you're going to hear different things. I mean, I've done that where it's like, where I listened to this thing like four times how come I never heard that yeah. five minute section right it's like where was that the whole time right right uh, but you need to not been paying it. attention at that one moment or maybe you didn't have the other pieces of the puzzle so when you listened it just it didn't click and didn't make yeah. sense for you right but then when you go back and I do that all the time with my coaching programs I'll I'll go back and I'll rewatch the modules you know and it I might have watched it only a couple of months ago but man I'm a different person from a a few months back. I'm a different person than a week ago, right? Yesterday. So I'm going to hear things in a different way because of the experiences that I've had or because of other shifts that have taken place. Uh, And yes, it takes time. But again, it's all about your intention. You know, why are you here? Why are you listening to this podcast? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? When you can start answering that for yourself, you get a lot more clarity. And when you have clarity, you have certainty. And then it becomes super easy to take action because you're not going, oh, but this, but that, and should I, shouldn't I, you know the answer because you've really dug into it. And the more you avoid it, the harder it becomes. And that's when we get analysis paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew this was going to be great. And of course it was. So, <laughs> you know, we got to kind of wrap up because I know we've, we've all got to get onto stuff and I know other people do too, but any, any, any final things that, that you want to make sure and share that we didn't cover today as we wrap up? The only thing I'd like to share is really just this invitation to be yourself, you know, and you may not even know who that self is right now and that's okay. You know, it will grow and evolve throughout your lifetime. And you'll go back and look at yourself as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, as an adult now. And you'll be able to take those pieces that you really love and put them together into a mosaic of who you are now. And just know that those things can change. Sometimes, you know, we, we break that mosaic and then we, com- we put it together in a completely new way, right? We, we have that ability So be gentle with yourself, be kind with yourself. And when you finally figure something out, instead of, you know, beating yourself up for not knowing sooner, just celebrate that you do know and allow yourself to really feel it and embody it. And that's going to be how you can start to make this a more regular process where it's not so, you know, big bang kind of experience each time where you have to pick up a million little pieces to put back together. Instead, you just take one piece out and you swap it out for something else. But just be kind with yourself in the process. Be curious. The lens for everything, in my opinion, if you can approach it with curiosity and with compassion, you will have a much more joyful experience, a much more conscious experience. And that's going to be what allows you to really design the experience that you're seeking. Yeah. Well, like you said, doing, doing the little things, making the little changes, doing a few little things each day or each week also helps us avoid kind of what, what we alluded, what you alluded to at the beginning of the podcast too, which is, 
you know, most people just kind of keep going on with their life until they hit the brick wall. Right. And then it's much more painful. Right. And it's like, you know, if you, if you start doing some of these things that Sarah's talking about now, just start asking yourself some little questions, you know, approach the world with more curiosity and compassion, then those little, those little things will help you avoid hitting the wall. Right. And, and being more multidisciplinary in what we're doing, go, you know, do some of those other things just for fun, just for the hell of it. Cause that's, you know, we all need that. We need to enjoy life as well and you know by doing that more and more we won't get to those levels of stress and burnout and everything else that so many people seem to be getting now and and it's it's almost like a little ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure sort yeah, of a thing absolutely. right absolutely. so well sarah thank you thank you for being on for for people that want to reach out to you how's the best way for people to reach reach you yeah um I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. You can search Sarah the Pivoter, P-I-V-O-T-E-R. You'll be able to find me there. Send me a friend request. Uh, and then, you know, you'll be able to see the, the different resources that I have and just, yeah, shoot me a message on one of the platforms and I will be able to continue the conversation. All right. Sounds wonderful. Thank you. Thank you again uh, for coming on. I, I learned a lot and I enjoyed spending the time with you today. Thank so. you so much. Yeah, I had a great time as well. Thank you. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. The fact that you listened to this entire episode means you got value and others will too. Do me a favor and leave a five-star review with comments and then share with others. You can also check out all of my videos on my YouTube channel and my website, jasonmefford.com. This podcast is primarily for education and commentary and does not represent professional advice. Views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.